1: But he says, don't let that happen. Let not your heart be troubled. But, you know, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Then he realizes we're going to say, that's not enough that you say, let not our hearts be troubled. There needs to be a basis for controlling our heart. What's the basis for us to not let our hearts be troubled? So, therefore, his next statement tells us why we should not let our hearts be troubled. So he says next, you believe in God, you believe in God, and that word means to trust. You trust in God, you rely on God, you put your confidence in God, so trust also in me. Rely on me, put your confidence in me. In other words, he's saying that, look, you want to know who God is? Well, he says, look at me, because I'm God who's become a man. That's what he's saying. And if they have found him, the Lord Jesus, to be trustworthy, then they put their trust in him for going to heaven. And then he tells us what we need to know about heaven. What is that? And that is that there is a house in heaven. It's called his father's house. And in his father's house are many mansions. He says there are many mansions. And then he speaks of what he's going to do. And he says, what I'm going to do is that while you're not there, I'm going to prepare. And that's the word. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for each and every individual believer or truster or relier or leaner on me. I'm going to do that. And that's the key word there is the word prepare. And that's the key thought is also the thought of promise because it's a promise that he's making here. So first we see, he says, we see that he uses this word prepare and we grab a hold of that word prepare and say, that's my word. I go to prepare a place for you. What's prepare mean? It means I'm going to make it ready. I'm going to make it ready for you. And that brings us back. And when we really think about this, that takes us all the way back to the first pages in the Bible. The first page of the Bible, which is about creation in Genesis 1 and 2. And in the creation, we look at the creation, and we see it from a different light when we look at the word prepare. Because in the creation, we see God at work preparing or making a place for man. Just like he said. He said, I go to prepare a place for you in John 14. That's exactly what we see God doing in Genesis 1 and 2, preparing a place for you, preparing a place for man. And the creation is all about God preparing a place for man. That's what it's all about. So when we look at John 14 and he says, I go to prepare a place for you, we get the crystallization of what he meant when we read Genesis 1 and 2 in the creation, because we see that just that way. Now, each day of the creation has great significance. Each day of the creation is something for us to mull on, to meditate on. But let's look at each day of the creation in the context of God preparing a place preparing a place, because that's what he said in John 14. I go to prepare a place. Let's look at how he is. What kind of a preparer is he? We get to see that from the creation. On the first day of creation, on day one of the creation, God prepared for man. Before he created man, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I'll come again, and then I'll bring you after the place is prepared. See. So before he brought man into the earth, before that, God prepared for man on day one of creation, the earth. The earth, a place for man to live in. And God created that place for man to live in called the earth before man was created. And then God created or prepared for man the light, the light. Why? so that man could see, so man could understand that God is the illuminator of truth. Therefore, God created the light in a preparation. Before he brought man onto the earth, he created, the light was there, prepared for man. And then God created or prepared for man the darkness. Why the darkness? God says God created darkness, says that. I created darkness, said that in also in Isaiah the darkness why so that man could understand what god is not god is not the author of darkness. He's not the author of confusion. He is not a confuser. He is not a deceiver. He doesn't speak with a crooked tongue. He doesn't say one thing and mean another thing. He's not a spreader of falsehood. That's darkness. Now, on this very important first day of creation, when God created the earth, but he created the light and the darkness. God had prepared for man, not just the light and the darkness, but God had prepared for man something very, very important, which was choice. God had prepared for man choice. By creating light and darkness, God had created a choice for man so that man would have before him a choice to be made. By creating light and darkness, God was setting up the situation for man to use his will to choose between light and darkness. And later on, God would step in. As his counselor, his wonderful counselor, as it says in Isaiah 9, 6, his wonderful counselor, and he would say in the book of Deuteronomy, I set before you life and death, therefore choose life. God says, choose life, but death is there also, but darkness is there also. So he created the situation for man to make a choice because God was preparing for man a place where man could exercise and strengthen his will to choose God, to choose good, and therefore to refuse Satan and to refuse evil. If you want, God made a gym for man, a place where man could go and exercise not his body but his will in order to strengthen not his body but his will, His strengthen his will by having this opportunity to choose between good, and evil between light and darkness between god and satan between life and death and that's what god's all about he's all about creating the situation so that man would strengthen his will man would use his will on his own be strong for god and then paul emphasizes that a lot later on so when god was going to create man god was going to crown man with the sovereignty of choice god would never use his divine sovereignty to steamroll over man's choice. God would create man, and he hasn't done it yet, because we're still on day one of creation, but God would create man with his own ability to choose, And so, with the creation of light and darkness, God had created the stage. He set the stage where man would be placed onto and where man alone had to choose between light and darkness. And then man alone would have to choose between God and Satan. And therefore, God had a basis for saying, Come, blessed of my Father, into the kingdom that is prepared for you, or depart from me that work iniquity. So, man would have to choose whether he would love the light and have good deeds or whether man would love the darkness and have evil deeds. So the earth, the light, and the darkness were all prepared by God before he created man or brought man in. He had gone to prepare a place for man before he brought him there. That was on day one. What about day two? Day two, the second day of creation, God prepared for man before he created man the heavens or the skies. Why? As so that man could look up into the skies and hope. He could look up and he could look forward. He could look up to and look forward to an eternal place to be with God forever that God had prepared for man. So that's why it's called the heavens. And God is in heaven So with the creation of the heavens, God created for man, or set the stage for man, to have hope. Hope. And that's in the heart of man. Hope of spending an eternity with God. Hope of having a good eternity. Hope of having a safe and secure forever with God. And so he created the heavens, the skies. And so on the first day, God created the choice for man, and on the second day, God created the hope for man, and man's not even on the scene yet. He has gone to prepare a place for man before he receives him. And then the heavens or the skies are prepared then before he creates man. Now on the third day, or day three of creation, God prepared for man, again, before he created man, the dry land, or a suitable place for man to live on. The place that that man should live on, on the land. And so God prepared the dry land on day three. And then God also prepared on day three the seas or a beautiful place for man to look at, to gaze on, and, and God prepared those seas for man. And the beauty of it, the immenseness of it, the different colors as it changes, as the reflection of the clouds and so forth. And then also on day three, God prepared for man vegetation or beautiful things for man to look at, for man to smell, for man to enjoy, and also a food source for man to eat. So on this third day of creation, with a continuing food source, God created for man also a botanic source of wonder and a security of daily plant food provision. And so on day three he created all this for man and he did that when he created the dry land, the season, the vegetation, and they were all created on day three before he had brought man in. He had went to prepare a place for man and that was part of his preparation for man. And now on the fourth day of creation, on day four, God prepared for man again before he brought man into the world, he created for man the sun. The sun, a source of warmth and light. For the day, to rule the day, as he said, for man, and also to make the plants grow for man. And God prepared the sun for man. And then God prepared the moon for man as a light for the night for man and to control the tides of the sea for man. So together, the sun and the moon constitute the clock that God provided for man before he created man in order to indicate to man when he should Celebrate his memorial feasts unto God. That's what it means when it talks about that he made them as signs in the heavens. The memorial feasts to, to to celebrate the goodness of God, and because it does man good to celebrate the goodness of God, and God prepared all that for man before he brought man in. And then he prepared, God prepared for man the stars, and the stars also on day three, a day four rather, the stars for signs in the sky for man to enjoy and for man to wonder at. So on the fourth day of creation, God created or prepared for man a security of daily and seasonal stabilities and a celestial source of wonder. And that the sun and the moon and the stars were all prepared by God before he created man, And then on the fifth day of creation, I go to prepare a place for you. I want to come down to deliver them out of that land and bring them up. So on the fifth day, we see the great preparing God, the great creating God, preparing for man. Before he created man, he created and prepared for man sea creatures. And sea creatures would be for man a source of beauty, and a source of wonder to make man happy, and a source of food for man. And God did all that for man before he brought him in. And then God further went on and prepared for man birds on day five as another source of beauty, a source of song, a source of wonder, like the hummingbird I was just looking at today, to make man happy with what God had done, and also as a source of food for man, although I'd never eat a hummingbird, but anyway. So on the fifth day of creation, God created or prepared for man an aquatic and an arrow source of wonder and security of daily provision of food from the seas. The sea creatures and the birds were all prepared by God before he created man. And then he comes to the sixth day of creation where God prepared for man The land animals. Before he created man, he prepared for man the land animals. Again, as a source of beauty, as a source of wonder, and also for the service of man, and as a source of food for man. So on the sixth day of creation, before he created man, God created or prepared for man a terrestrial source of wonder, service, and also security of daily provision of food from the land. The land animals were all prepared on the sixth day by God before he created man. And then after that, God had, and consider that, after that, after what? After God prepared the earth, and he prepared the light, and he prepared the, darkness and he prepared the heavens and he prepared the dry land and the seas and the vegetation and the sun and the moon and the stars and the sea creatures and the birds and the land animals all prepared for man and when everything was prepared for man in advance then on the sixth day of creation God created man he received him unto himself there on the sixth day God created man and then he presented to man all that he had prepared in advance for man. See, I go to prepare a place for you. And then I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that there you may be, where I am, there you may be also. So when God saw, and then after all that was done, God then looked at man and says, how's it going? And he looked and he says, now there's something incomplete here. Something is missing for man, a companion that is appropriate for him like man so then god created woman for man so that they could be complete together and then god saw that man was also not whole not complete this time not physically and also soul wise as he found that mate in his wife but now he wasn't complete man was not complete until he found rest in god he found rest in god So now God looks and he sees. Now man was first for his soul, for himself, he needed a person, he needed a companion, so he created a woman, a wife to be make him complete. But then God looks and says, man is still not whole spiritually unless he finds his rest in God, his regular rest in God. And so he said he needs a day when he does nothing but worships God, when he spends time with God, when he finds rest in God. So God creates then the seventh day for a man as a day of rest from his work and a day to come to God to find rest in God that God gives. So what we find in creation is a God who before he created man, before he brought man on the scene and received man unto himself, that he went and prepared a place for man. That's who God is. That's who the Lord Jesus Christ is. That's why he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And in the creation, we see the Lord Jesus going and preparing a place for man. And what a place God has prepared for man. And speaking about our exit from the earth, and when he said in John 14, 2, I go to prepare a place for you, and if the world was the first place that he prepared for man, we can only imagine how great God's second place is that he's prepared for man in his Father's house. And when the Lord Jesus Christ said for us to believe also in him, that meant for us to trust also in him. Trust him. Trust him that in his father's house there are many mansions. Trust him that he has gone to prepare a place for us in his father's house. Trust him to come back again for us. Trust him to when he comes back to that he will receive us unto himself. Trust him that where he is, there we will be also. Trust him. Trust his promises. Trust his word. So when he told Moses in Exodus 3.8 that he wants to bring Israel up out of that land of Egypt unto a good land, we see how the good land he is speaking about has been prepared by him. Moses understood what it meant to trust God. It means to let God bring Israel unto the place he has prepared. And so from those words, Moses understood how God, the great creator God, the great preparer God, was to be trusted for this life. For the Jewish people should trust him to bring them out of Egypt unto a good land. For all people to trust him to bring them out of the life of their own sin and through death into the land where God is. Now in Exodus 3, 8, God goes and describes to Moses this land. And he says that he wanted to bring the Jewish people, he wants to bring them into what's called a good land, a large land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now this is the new land that God has described. It's so different from the land of Egypt and from what they knew. The new land was all that Egypt was not. It was a land that Israel did not have when they were in Egypt, and they longed for it. That's what they were describing. The new land was described as a good land. Egypt was a relatively bad land for them because it didn't belong to them. And also it was a bad land because it was corrupted with Egyptian gods, who God later on would say that he would execute judgment on their gods. The new land is described as a large land. That part of Egypt where Israel lived in Goshen was large when there was only 75 people, but now they had grown to nearly 3 million people, and so the land was become small, and it was crowded, and they were hemmed in. And the land is described as a land flowing, and that's the key word, flowing with milk and honey, and ever and for always continual flowing with milk and honey. See in Egypt there was not the steady flow of food. Sometimes the waters of the Nile would flood and then recede like they well, it was very nice and then there would be good crops, good harvests in Egypt. But other times there'd be too much flooding or a drought like in Joseph's time with the seven years of famine. And so food was not predictable. It wasn't flowing in Egypt and God promised to bring the Jewish people, into a land that was flowing with milk and honey. And as believers, we see this world in which we live as corrupted by sin. And like Israel, we long to be brought by God where he wants to bring us a good land, a large land flowing with milk and honey. Now we come to verse 9 where God says, Now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. This is a statement for Moses, and Moses could hear God say this, of engagement. Engage Moses, engage. And so when we do as believers what it says in John 1, 12, but as many as received him, not a religion, not a denomination, not a church, but the Lord Jesus Christ as a person, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power or the authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. When we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our God and Savior, then we become one of the sons of God. We have the authority as a group to be called the sons of God. And what it means to be one of the sons of God is that we should then progress on. Progress on to what? To the point of that whatever makes God happy should make us happy. Whatever make God angry should make us angry. Whatever hurts God at his heart should hurt God should hurt us in our heart. Whatever God is seeking to do should be what we are seeking to do. And that's what it means to be not just son of God, but a child of God. That's different. Because in Matthew 5, 43 through 45, he describes that being a child of God. And it says this, You have heard that hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So when we love what God loves, when we hate what God hates, when we are hurt By what hurts God. When we search for what God searches for, then we are the children of God the Father. Not the sons, but the children of God the Father.
0: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God.